Ready? <laughs> a sleepy bean. Got enough barbecue in you? Yeah. Yeah. What did you get? You got three things? Three this different things? Brisket, tips, rib tips, and chicken. Ooh. Damn. And some sweet potato fries. Those were good. My Sammy was pretty good. Was it a chicken Sammy? No, it had pulled pork and brisket on it. I should have gotten that. What the fuck? Yeah. The coleslaw was pretty fire, too. And it was called Firewater. Shout out to Firewater. Not a sponsor. But you should be. Welcome there we go. to the 50th. Oh, I forgot it was the 50th. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. This is a very special episode because it is our 50th. Oh my gosh. 50th episode. My name is Zach. My name's Paige. Can you believe it? 50 episodes? Yeah, I remember when we first started and you were like, how long do you think we're going to do this for? <laughs> Maybe a couple more. <laughs> And we made it to 10 episodes, and we celebrated. Remember those balloons? And your trombone. <laughs> and my trombone. Those balloons were the best. <laughs> I can't believe how hard you celebrated 10 episodes. Yeah, I was super into it. I listened. I actually listened to that episode recently, and <laughs> just listening to you crack up when you saw those balloons. <laughs> uh, it was so fun. It was pretty fucking funny. This is 50 episodes of Beer and Fear. <clears throat> this is awesome. Thanks for listening, whoever you are, if you're listening. Uh, thanks for watching. If you're watching, whatever, however you want to Whole absorb gun action for the, camera. the material. So before we get into our weeks, I have a special thing for 50. Mm-hmm. Is it champagne? Oh, man. That would have been a great idea. Yeah, I'm full of those. Oh, those are so cute. I bought some Burgess um, little uh, like stout glasses. The cuties. Yeah. Little cutie glasses. That's the size I want to drink whenever I... Uh, drink stouts just, yes just enough to taste exactly so they're for they're supposed to be for stouts or like really like high hop dark beers mm-hmm. i don't know i'll have to look it up but um they're so cute and tiny i know and i've don't wanted break them i've wanted gla- I, no, try not to break them i've wanted glasses like this for a while i think the the glass is a little bit thicker so i should be good those um spiegel yeah glasses are very thin yeah they're got to be careful with those i still have two of them when you went back, because you broke the other one, yeah. was the same cashier there? No. Damn. <laughs> that would have been funny, though. That would have been great. She, the second one didn't ask me, oh, just one? And I had to explain myself. So she was just like, okay, one glass, you got it. Here you go. So, But, uh, yeah, Burgess beer glasses. I uh, hope we get to use those at some point um, for different types of beer. Mm-hmm. Or just I'm expanding my glass palette here. Um, Do you have a lot of booze? And a lot of glassware. Mm-hmm. So this, I'm gonna. my entire apartment's going to be a bar pretty soon. Sure. So there you go. 50 episodes. We got some glasses. Yes. Go us. How was your week, Paige? We did it. Me. Yeah? Me. Anything to share? Um, not really. Work's good. I'm enjoying that. Good. Um, All right. Oh, we're uh, we're playing uh, Skyrim on Twitch. Yeah, that's fun. That was a lot of fun. It kept fucking up. Yeah, despite the crashes. Hopefully that gets better. Um, the more we play and the more I figure things out. Uh, hopefully we'll figure figure the whole situation out so you can host because hopefully that'll be less taxing on my computer then also. I could so, always stream. Yeah, we're uh, we're going with the flow right now. But our first videos on Twitch, Twitch, uh, Twitch.tv slash Beer and Fearcast. If you want to watch it, it's broken up into three videos or four videos because that's how often my computer crashed during the process. But it was a lot of fun. <clears throat> we got some clips too. I made some clips on Twitch for the first time in my life. I had to figure out how clips work, but um, it was funny. I don't feel like I have anything else to report. This week's been a blur, or the week before has been a blur. Yeah, sometimes it'd be like that. Yeah, dude. I can't think mm. anything. What about you, but I had a kind of an eventful week. Um, so I, I helped my mom move uh, some stuff. And 
that involved me having to get a pickup truck. So I went to Menards and got a pickup, and I drove to my aunt's house to pick up this big thing that wouldn't fit in my car, and then drive it all the way back to my mom's, and then drop off the truck. So I got to drive a pickup. I'm 26. I drove a pickup for the first time. I still uh, have never driven a pickup yesterday. truck. And it was really cool. I liked it. I didn't know if the... Um, like the big dick energy? I don't know if that comes with the pickup itself. Like when you get in the truck, like you automatically get like the, you know, like driving a pickup. Yeah. Or if like that's acquired. Because I didn't, I didn't like sense that too much when I was in the pickup. You know? I was just like, oh, I'm driving a truck. I associate pickup trucks with older southern men. I don't know. I associate pickups with dudes who wear camo hats and have uh-huh. those like really like rainbowy sunglasses rainbow oh like aviators yeah rainbowy sunglasses no there's like um <coughs> these sunglasses that have gotten really popular lately that are like in oranges and purples and blues uh and they're um pretty big but i associate them with that okay i can kind of visualize the person that that you're describing but i don't know i just didn't I like my small car. I mean, I also lived in the South for a while, so that's probably okay. why. Yeah, I like my small car. I didn't really get much out of it. It was, it was nice. Mm-hmm. It had pretty good pickup. Allison has a cute little car. She's got like a Chevy Spark. I'm <laughs> like, if any car fit her personality, it's that one. <laughs> just adorable. No, but that was fun. Um, I don't know. I just don't, I don't get the appeal, maybe, of pickups. Mm-hmm. That is my point, my entire point of all that. And then my washing machine broke. I think finally, I remember there was like forever episodes ago, um, my washing machine, I had a sort of a panic mode trying to finish my clothes, but I was able to fix it. Now I can't fix it. Now maintenance had to come out and they're going to repair something on it. So I had to take all of my clothes out of the washing machine and wring them out by hand and then throw them in the dryer and then start my load of laundry for the the drying, which lasted like two and a half hours because these clothes were more wet than they normally were. Oh, they were heavy. Uh, yeah. So I had that happen before. My um one of those with my parents, my washing the washing machine, um it didn't uh wring out the clothes properly, so I mm. like tried to throw them in the dryer. And as soon as I turned the dryer on, it was just like <laughs> Oh, it just and moved it a little didn't bit. Move. Oh. I was like, well, that's not going to work out. Back in the washer. I did that once before with really wet clothes and then turned the dryer on. Then you just hear, it's like, okay, maybe, maybe this should go back in there. But I told my aunt that and she's like, I would have like put all the clothes in a bag and like taken them to a laundromat to wash them. And I was like, I get it because they're kind of sitting in soaking water that's not exactly clean, but not exactly dirty. You know, like they were washed. And the rinse cycle had gone, but they were still kind of sitting in soaking water. Sure. I was like, I don't have, I don't want to do that. I don't have time to do it. Put all my wet clothes in a bag. I don't know. Did you stay at a laundromat and watch them? What the fuck? Yeah, I've never been to a laundromat, and I'm not about to start now. But I was like, it's fine. It's I'm gonna wear them. They're not, they're not dirty. I smelled them. I smelled my clothes to make sure that they were, (laughs) they weren't dirty. I smelled each and every article of clothing as I took it out of the dryer. I was like, yep, that's good. Big old. Yep, that's good. That's good. So they were fine. They were clean to my standards, at least. So good for you, bud. But it was annoying. I'm upset. I can't wash clothes. Yeah, that would upset me too. That's all I got. My mom's moving. I'm going to Michigan tomorrow, and I'm excited. I don't even think you mentioned you were going to Michigan. <clears throat> nope, going on vacation. Michigan. Be a lot of fun. I am ready. Our beer is from Solemn Oath Brewing. Oh Jesus! What's that mean? <laughs> She was super negative this episode. <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, not again. Are you serious? For realsies and for seriouslies. Appears from Salamoth Brewing. They are at 1661 Quincy Avenue, Unit 179 in Naperville, Illinois, 60540. Oh, I forgot they were in Naperville. We haven't done yeah. them in so long. No, we haven't done them at all. I thought we did them before. No, we've never done Salamoth. It's the first time we're doing Salamoth. Hmm. Trying to beer from them. Um... And what better episode? Let's start with 50. So Google says that this is a two-minute walk from Center Stage Theater, which it is. Relevant. Yeah. I used to work there. What are some of their more popular beers? Uh, I'll get into it. Thanks. The brewery just recently, uh, June 18th, actually, to be exact, exact, opened Solemn Oath's Still Life, Uh 
Tap Room at 2919 West Armitage Avenue in Logan Square, Chicago. Huh. So they just brand new uh, tap room in Chicago also. There's no real about section that talks about the brewery on their website or, their, or Facebook. All it says on Facebook is a craft brewery and tap room in Naperville, Illinois. Hmm. Yeah. Yes, it is. And we've never done them. Nope. You double checked. Yes. What the fuck? Yeah, never done Salamo. That's so weird. We, I think we've talked about doing Salamo before. Maybe but, we have. Uh, they work out of a uh, multi-complex industrial type building. Uh-huh. Uh, so they have outdoor seating, which they actually modified for uh, COVID. They have these beer domes. Oh, look at that. Mm-hmm. Outside. When I went there today, those weren't there. Hmm. Probably because it's warmer and nicer out and COVID's kind of like on the decline. But they have those outside because the entire insides and in industrial building is just their brewery. Sure. So I thought that was pretty cool. They got those domes. They domes. do, um, they like, they sanitize everything, mm-hmm. hand sanitizer. And then they have this cool gun mm-hmm. that they spray disinfectant in the dome and then they vent it. And then people can go in and sit. And it, it uh, kills 99% of all viruses in less than five minutes. Hmm. That was pretty neat that they do that. But again, they weren't there when I went. Uh, if you live anywhere in the Chicagoland area, you've probably tried or at least heard of many of Selim Oath's flagship beers, such as Lou Kolsch, uh, Snaggletooth Bandana, American IPA. You've heard of that? Nope. Oh, no, you haven't. Oh, I'm, I'm mistaking it for, um, what's it, Bubblegum? Bubblegum Head? That's Three Floyds. Yes, I'm mixing it up with Three Floyds. Yeah, Snaggletooth Bandana, American nope. IPA. No it's one of their most popular ones. Uh, End All IPA, which I've had before. It's delicious. Nope. There's one called Kidnapped by Vikings, nope. American IPA, or Be All Pale Ale. Nope. The brewery also does plenty of collabs with other Chicagoland breweries. They even collabed with Run the Jewels, mm. releasing City Water Ooh La La Pink Lemonade Hard Seltzer. Oh my god, I want to try that. What the fuck? Based on that, uh, I think they still have it. Based on that oh, track. Pink Lemonade. Ooh la la, ah wee wee, which I played in my car a billion times. Yes, multiple times. That's pretty much it about Salamoth. They're in Naperville. They're awesome. And uh, I was there because I went to center stage and said hi. I need to look at more of their beers because mm-hmm. I feel like. Continue on, continue on. Sorry. Actually, I, opposite of that, I went to center stage because I was picking up a beer from Salamoth. The beer that we are trying mm-hmm. is called mm-hmm. Unholy Goat. From their website, brewed in collaboration with Chef Step- Stephanie Izzard, or Izzard, of the famed Girl and the Goat and the Goat group. Girl and the Goat and Goat. You are nailing this. That's what it says. Girl and the Goat and Goat group. Girl and the Goat and Goat. Uh. Yeah, you're doing much better. Thanks. Of Chicago restaurants. Unholy Goat is a tart shake IPA with watermelon, pineapple, chili, lime, and sea salt. Uh, from Facebook, this is the Facebook post when it came out, which I think is in... It came out shortly after they opened their uh, Chicagoland thing. So just like maybe a week after in June. From Facebook, they said, Watermelon, lime, chili, sea salt. An unbeatable summertime flavor combination in the form of a tart shake IPA. Brewed in collaboration with Chef Stephanie Izzard, or Izzard. Unholy Goat jumps out of the glass with juicy bursts of sweet watermelon, refreshingly tart lime, and subtle flavor swings of chili and sea salt. The hoppy base of the Unholy Goat reveals its hand at the finish with a delicate bitterness reminiscent of the final bite off of a fresh summer melon rind. Take a sip of summer with the Unholy Goat this weekend. Um, You said chili, lime, and sea salt? Yes. Didn't... Salty shark anus have sea salt in it. Sea quench had lime and uh, sea salt. Yes. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> you're probably be- you're probably like, what the hell is a tart shake IPA? I actually was. Thank you for noticing. Yeah. So there's not actually not much online about these. I looked. It looked like very few breweries were marketing tart shake IPAs. Either it's an uncommon style, a relatively new style, or some combination of both. So not many, <clears throat> not many breweries had. Tart Shake IPAs. We're making Tart Shake IPAs. So we can maybe compare it to a Milkshake IPA, which we had last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, milkshake IPAs are a spinoff of Hazy IPAs, which are known for their juicy, fruit-forward flavors, sweet, citrusy aromas, and high but not overwhelming bitterness. The difference being the introduction of lactose or milk sugar providing a milky, creamy mouthfeel 
similar to milk stouts. Same sort of deal. And just like milk stouts, the lactose doesn't ferment, so it survives in sugar form, adding sweetness. So you get a creamy mouthfeel and sweetness, thanks to the lactose, the hmm. milkiness. The addition of vanilla in milkshake IPAs also improves its milkshakiness. Fruit flavors are common, as well as standard dessert milkshake ingredients like chocolate, or less common flavors like cinnamon or maple syrup. I can't imagine. That can, Sorry. That can I be found in... can't imagine cinnamon. Yeah, cinnamon or... We've had uh, cinnamon in a beer before, right? In uh, the tea one. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Uh, but yeah, like a milkshake IPA might have cinnamon in it. Tart shake IPAs, I'm assuming, combines the qualities and traits of milkshake IPAs and qualities of sour beers to create a unique New England slash hazy IPA slash milkshake slash sour combo. I do not know how I'm going to feel about this. Yeah, neither do I. I am going to be impressed, blown away. It's like combining a slushy and a milkshake. Yeah. I don't know. A sour beer and a milkshake IPA, as I, I imagine the blend hmm. is. I didn't have any other information on here, but... Oh, by the way, Salamoth Brewery is hiring a, a brewmaster or a brewer. Great yeah, to know. I'm going to be a brewer in uh, Naperville. But um, I'm going to go get it. Didn't even say what the episode was about. Yeah, I keep forgetting. Yeah. I'll do it when I come back. <laughs> so, this episode, I neglected to say, is on exorcisms. Episode 50 on exorcisms. And the beer that I wanted to get mm-hmm. was called Unholy Water. Uh, and that would have been perfect. Uh, and it's by... Salamoth, hmm. they made Unholy Water, but it's uh, they released it earlier in the year, uh, right around when this came out, they stopped making Unholy Water, and then actually done about four variations of Unholy Water since its inception, original inception. So if you look online, there's Unholy Water version one, two, three, four. I wanted to get it. Each one was a little bit different. I think Unholy Water two through four were also Tart Shake IPAs, but this is its successor, Unholy Goat. The one that I went with, a tart, tart shake IPA. I quite enjoy the can art. Side of the wind. The other side of the the wind. The Ooh, wind? She the... the wind? Up here by the goat. Oh. Yeah, and the can cool. It's like a goat skull, demon goat skull. Did a demon just escape from the can? Kind of feel like it. Smells watermelony. You make the weirdest faces. I'm glad we're recording video now that people can actually see them. Because you've been doing this for the last 50 episodes. I don't know how I feel about that smell. I don't know. I just smell watermelon. A little bit of like a, a kick of something. Like maybe it's a lime and salt combo. Kind of smells like perfume. Really? I'm not getting that. Let's dive in. A tad bit. Hmm. Oh, God. <laughs> this can was full Oh. And I'm glad that we're recording so people can see how often you spill on I yourself. I do spill a lot. This can was very full. This one's full, too. Jesus. Okay. All right. Be more careful. Be more careful than me, Paige. Oh, she foamy. me. <laughs> Just complete upside down pour. Well, you said be careful. Yeah. I take that very seriously. <laughs> no. Look how hard I tried. <laughs> <laughs> Pants are all wet. Well, that's what happens when you smell it yourself. Um, the color is light. This foam will not go away. I'd say a little bit lighter than like a hazy IPA. Um, oh. Jesus. Can you relax over there? It just smells weird. <laughs> it smells even worse out of the can. I don't think it's... I don't know what you're picking up. I don't know. I just think it smells weird. You're taking your preconceived notions of the description and letting them influence your smell. Excuse you. I am very open. <laughs> I don't have a problem with this smell. I think it smells I'm great. I'm a big fan of the smell. Um, yeah, the color is a little bit lighter than a hazy IPA. It's more clear, too. It's not hazy, really. Uh, it kind of just looks like a regular IPA or an APA, you know? It, like, smells weird, so I just keep diving back in to get a whiff, and I regret it. <sighs> You're ridiculous. Well, am I not allowed to critique things? <laughs> Don't stifle me. 
I just it's it's so surprising whenever this happens when we get it's at least it's surprising to me when we get something that like I pour it and we look at it and we try it and I'm like I don't no problem with this this is incredible and then you have just a complete polarizing <laughs> opinion it just always blows me away every time we no, have different palettes yeah, you're allowed to have your opinions exactly I, but don't be surprised when I criticize them all the time. No, I have no issues with it. It smells like watermelon. Have you disliked any of the beers that I've picked, or are you just like pussyfooting and not telling me the truth? I'll have to look at the beer list. I can't remember. I'm sure I've disliked because a few. it seems like most your reactions aren't as like. Yeah, maybe not as drastic. Intense yeah. as mine. Yeah, I'm much more open to things. No, when I say when I'm saying your reactions are different, I'm saying that you're just kind of like, eh, like tame. Yes. Yeah. I don't feel like you know what you need to be more vocal in your in your opinion. Hey, I'm not a mean person. I'm not Are a, you saying I'm mean? No, I'm just saying I, I feel like I would need to be mean in order for me to criticize something with that much intensity. Kind of feels like you're saying I'm mean. You don't have to be mean in order to do that. You're a different person. You can do that. You have the ability to do that. Criticize something intently. I need to be mean to do that. <laughs> you just <laughs> you get a baby clink. Pull away from the clink every time. Mm, it's so good. Delicious. Ooh. Love it. Yeah, just go ahead, drop your tongue in there. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> like a cat. That is wild. I mostly just taste the watermelon. <clears throat> eh. Mostly just tastes like watermelon to me. I don't really taste. I was expecting worse. See? <laughs> Smelling it and all these faces. And... It smells weird to me. Hmm. I guess chili maybe, but I don't know. Lime is there. Watermelon is... It kind of makes me think of sea quench because of the sea salt and lime. It's kind of got that sort of twist to it. Similar, yeah. Not as intense uh, like you opened your mouth at the bottom of Salt Lake, you know. Just imagine that you're just the... <laughs> mm-hmm. That's that beer. No, this is tasty. It's fruity. It's, it's easy to drink. It's, it's kind of got a... I think the tartness is what's making me kind of like weird about it. Hmm. Do you... I don't even... Do you like sour beers? Yeah. Okay. We've talked about this before. Yeah. It's not like you don't even know me. I just feel like you don't particularly order sours very often. I know Jack's a big fan of them. When was the last time you and I went out and got beer? Obscurity. Oh, yeah. I don't think we had a single sour that day. Oh, God. <laughs> Giant mouthful was not the way to go. Oh. Total. Hey, I won't do that then. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, <sighs> it's got a very strange sour, tart, salty, sweet thing going on. You know, like, um, what's that uh, chili seasoning? Ta- tahine? Mm. So the uh, that's a good description. Yeah. Well, the promotional pictures for this, they had this poured in a glass and they rimmed it with tahini. Oh fuck yeah! And then they had watermelon wedges on the side and a couple limes. So that's kind of the essence of this beer. Mm. It's supposed to be watermelon tahini, you know, Cajun, um, with some lime and sourness. I don't know. I like it. It's unique. Uh, it's definitely not. Um, High up on my list for the last 10. Mm. It beats a lot of other beers that I've tried on the show, like the last 49 episodes. But uh, based on these last 10, I don't know. It's a good beer. Eh. Do I really make weird faces? <laughs> like you smelled it and went. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, just do it. You're really good at uh, outward expressive expre- <laughs> expressions. Look at those! Look at those stumps. Yeah, they hang on. I'm pulling up the beer list on here because it'll be easier to. Since this is our last beer, yeah, we're we're gonna do some moving around. I'm sure. So, totaling everything up, it is a tie for our number one beer between Terradome and Blackberry Grunt. Uh, Terradome was my number one. Blackberry Grunt was your number one. Both your picks. Yeah. Um, and they were each of ours number twos. Um, your number one, my number two. My number one, your number two. 
And then the worst beer, <laughs> Discovery Amber Ale from Greens, which uh, technically was their IPA, which we talked about. It wasn't their Amber Ale. I'm but... so bad about that. And then everything else was kind of kind of in the middle. Uh, Runner-up would be uh, Son of Shaky, which rated that a three. Each gave it a three. So pretty cool beers this uh Whatever if season, it's not really season? a season, but last ten episodes segment. Se- no, <laughs> I don't know. I think it's on. But we had an APA, we had an American IPA, we had a New England Double IPA, Amber Air, Amber, Amber Ale, Sour Ale, Imperial Triple IPA, Brown Ale, Cream Ale, Milkshake IPA, and Tart Shake. All of these were different. We were very. We said we were going to be yep. more, we would have more variety this yep. time. We, instead we didn't, of just a bunch of DDHs. <laughs> yeah, DDHs and New England IPAs. We doubled, We didn't double up at all these last 10. Each beer was different. I kept redoing breweries, but at least they were different <laughs> types of beers. I actually paid attention to what I was picking out instead of looking at the pretty colors. Yeah, we did St. Laurent twice, Pipeworks twice. But um, no, they were. St. Laurent is just killing it. You know Saint what Arant I saw? St. is killing it. You know what I saw at Benny's? A new Saint Laurent beer, and I almost picked it, but I was like, "No, that's too much." Saint we should start doing. I, hey, I'm all open to it. I might do another Saint Laurent beer. We just keep hyping them. Yeah, ever since the first one, it was delicious, and we can do them for bonus episodes. We can. Yeah, I'll be. I'd be glad to pick another Saint Laurent episode. Saint Laurent beer for an episode. Exorcisms. Here we go. Exorcism. Is the religious or spiritual practice of evicting demons and jinns or other spiritual entities from a person or an area? It sounded like you were about to give a... Uh, that uh, is believed defi- to be possessed. Let me finish my sentence. Oh, I thought you were done. It sounded like you were going <laughs> to give a definition. Exorcism. <laughs> or like the dictionary when you hit the speaker button. Exorcism. <laughs> you could be that person. Yeah? Yeah, full time. That's your new job. Mm-hmm. Thanks. <laughs> Depending on the spiritual beliefs of the exorcist, they may, this may be done by causing the entity to swear an oath, performing an elaborate ritual, or simply by commanding it to depart in the name of a higher power. The practice is ancient and part of the belief system of many cultures and religions. Uh, requested and performed exorcism began to decline in the United States by the 18th century and occurred rarely until the latter half of the 20th century when the public saw a sharp rise due to the media attention exorcisms mm-hmm. were getting. There was a 50% increase in the number of exorcisms performed between the early 1960s and the mid-1970s. Hmm. 1960s and 70s? And the mid-1970s. An increase. Yes. In Buddhism, the practice of reciting or listening to the Purita, Purita, began very early in the history of Buddhism. Purita is generally translated as protection or safeguard. It refers to the Buddhist practice of reciting certain verses and scriptures in order to ward off misfortune or danger. Okay. Just for a little... Fun fact. Fun fact. (laughs) (laughs) It is a Buddhist practice of reciting certain verses and scriptures from Pali... Pali canon. Canon? C-A-N-O-N? Yeah. It's canon, right? Like for anime? Or like... Like Harry Potter canon or... Uh, No. In order to ward off misfortune or danger, like I said, the belief in the effective spiritual power to heal or protect, or uh, 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 (laughs) how do you spell that? (laughs) Uh, Several uh, scriptures in the Purita, like Metta Sutta, Ratana Sutta, and Ratana Sutta, can be um, recite for exorcism purposes. In Tibetan Buddhism, the ritual of exorc- of the exercising ghost day is part of Tibetan tradition. The p- Tibetan religious ceremony, Gator, literally offering of the 29th, is held on the 29th of the 12th Tibetan month, with its focus on driving out all negativity, including evil spirits and misfortunes of the past year, and starting the new year in a peaceful and auspicious way. I need that. I need that in my life. The temples and monasteries throughout Tibet hold grand religious dance ceremonies with the largest at Potala Palace. Families clean their houses on this day, decorate their rooms, and eat a special noodle soup called guthuk. In the evening, the people carry torches, calling out the words of exorcism. That sounds delicious. Guthuk. Guthuk. Give me some guthuk. When people say torches, all I can think about is that uh, rally where those dudes held tiki torches. <laughs> oh, I didn't see that. 
What? It was in the news. A rally with tiki torches? It was a bunch of like white supremacists that were getting all <laughs> butthurt and they couldn't find torches. So they went to like Party City most likely and got tiki torches and they were just like, we don't like people. And we're just like, we don't like you. Tiki torches. It's like, who the fuck takes you seriously with tiki torches? It looks like you're trying to like ward off mosquitoes. Well, that's a, <laughs> that's a good question. Where do you find torches? Where would you Why find a torch? You just make them. Go chop down a fucking tree, cut see, them no, down. That, see, that's too much work for those guys. Well, I mean, they just—they have money. Clearly, I'm high. I'm holding people to higher standards. <laughs> they have money, and they, it, the easiest thing—they just need to spend the money. It's embarrassing. They were all in like Buy white something. polos. How do you make a torch? You just grab a stick and then some rope, and then dip it and light it on fire. I think there's a whole process. Yeah, it's gonna be dipped in like a wax of some kind or something. I don't know, so it burns longer. Uh, in Christianity, exorcism is the practice of casting out or getting rid of demons. In Christian practice, the person performing the exorcism known as an exorcist is often a member of the Christian church or an individual thought to be graced with special powers or skills. The exorcism, I'm sorry, the exorcist may use prayers and religious materials such as set formulas, gestures, symbols, icons, amulets, etc. The exorcist often invokes God, Jesus, or several different angels and archangels to intervene with the exorcism. Did you ever see the exorcist? Yeah. I'll talk, I'm going to talk about it okay. in my section. Yeah. When was the uh, youngest you saw The Exorcist? I don't remember. How old do you think you were? It's been a while. I've only seen it once. Only once? Yeah. You, got, you should watch it again. We should have watched it today. Well, we didn't have time, but um, yeah, great movie. It's terrifying. I saw mm. it as at a younger age, and um, yeah, it's pretty scary. Mm. Um, Protestant Christian exorcists most common, commonly believe the authority given to them by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or the Trinity, is the sole source of their ability to cast out demons. In general, people considered to be possessed are not regarded as evil in themselves nor wholly responsible for their actions because possession is considered to be unwilling manipulation by a demon, resulting in harm to self or others. Mm -hmm. Therefore, practitioners regard exorcism as more of a cure than a punishment. The mainstream rituals usually take this into account, making sure that there is no violence to the possessed, only that they be tied down if there is potential for violence. Uh. However, there are biblical verses, like John thirteen twenty seven that implicitly convey that demonic possession can be voluntary, as exemplified in individuals like Judas Iscariot, Iscariot who willingly submitted to the devil. The Catholic Church, however says that exorcisms are performed in the name of Jesus Christ. A distinction is made between a formal exorcism, a solemn exorcism, which can only be conducted by a priest during a baptism or with the permission of a bishop, and prayers of deliverance, which can be said by anyone. The Catholic rite for a formal exorcism called a major exorcism is given in section 11 of the Ritual Romanum. Romanum. Yeah, Romano. The ritual lists guidelines for conducting an exorcism and for determining when a formal exorcism is required. Priests are instructed to carefully determine that the nature of the affliction is not actually a psychological or physical illness before proceeding. In Catholic practice, the person performing the exorcism known as an exorcist is an ordained priest. The exorcist recites prayers according to the rubrics of the rite and may make use of religious materials such as icons, sacramentals, and relics. Mm -hmm. The exorcist invokes God, specifically the name of Jesus Christ, as well as members of the church triumphant and the archangel Michael, to intervene with the exorcism. According to Catholic understanding, several weekly exorcisms over many years are sometimes required to expel a deeply entrenched demon. St. Michael's prayer against Satan and the rebellious angels attributed to Pope Leo. What's X in Roman? Ten. Thank you. I don't know my Roman numerals. Do I look Roman? They're dead for a reason. <clears throat> is considered the strongest prayer of the Catholic Church against cases of diabolic possession. The mm -hmm. Holy Rosary also has an exorcistic, exorcistic and in, inter, intercessory power. Exorcistic? What a descriptive adjective. In Lutheran churches... Um, from the 16th century onward, Lutheran pastoral handbooks describe the primary symptoms of demonic possession to be knowledge of secret things, knowledge of languages one has never learned, and supernatural strength. Before conducting a major exorcism, Lutheran litur liturgical te texts state that a, a physician be consulted in order to rule out any medical or psychiatric illness. The rite of exorcism centers chiefly around driving out demons with prayers and contempt. Here's my prayers and contempt. I hold contempt for you, mm -hmm. demon. 
and includes the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer. I know of that religious thing. I understand. Um, the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, which I never really knew that much about, uh, is a very rare practice in that church. There are two methods for performing an exorcism. The first is by anointing with con- uh, consecrated oil and laying on of hands, followed by a blessing on a specific person and commanding the spirit to leave. The second and most common method is done by raising the hand to the square and then commanding the spirit away in the name of Jesus Christ and with the power or authority of the um, Melchizedek priesthood. Exorcism can only be performed by someone holding that priesthood, the higher of the two priesthoods of the church, and can be performed by anyone holding that priesthood. However, they are generally performed by bishops, missionaries, mission presidents, or stake presidents. What's this? What square? Hold the <laughs> hold your hand to the square. To a square. To any square. Any square. I always thought it was the Church of the Latter Day Saints, like. A ladder. Oh, like to climb. <laughs> I was very confused. The ladder saints, like snake church. For the, the longest it's very time. literal. What do saints, why do saints need ladders? <laughs> Good question. Jesus was a carpenter. Ooh, there's your tie-in. Oh, full circle. <laughs> exorcisms are not recorded by the church, and therefore the number of exorcisms performed in the religion are unknown. Demonic possession is rarely talked about in the church. Demonic possession has been talked about twice by Joseph Smith, the founder of the faith. Oh. The first time, just a random fucking guy. I was like, who the hell is Joseph Smith? Joseph Smith, he talked about it a few times at brunch. (laughs) The first time refers to his experience during the first vision, and he recorded the following in his 1831 account of the first vision. I kneeled down and began to offer up the desires of my heart to God. I had scarcely done so, when immediately I was seized upon by some power which entirely overcame me, and had such astonishing influence over me as to bind my tongue so that I could not speak. Thick darkness, thick darkness gathered around me, and it seemed to me for a time as if it were doomed to sudden destruction. But exerting all my powers to call upon God to deliver me out of the power of this enemy which had seized upon me. And at the very moment when I was ready to sink into despair and abandon myself to destruction, not to an imaginary ruin, but to the power of some actual being from the unseen world, who had such a marvelous power as I had never felt before in any being. Just at this moment of great alarm, I saw a pillar of light, exactly over my head, above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually upon until it fell upon me. Did you like that? That's intense. Thanks. Uh, His second experience comes from a journal entry in which he talks about the time he performed an exorcism on a friend, but it does not go into detail about that. Demonic possession is not a psychiatric or medical diagnosis recognized by either the DSM-5 or the ICD-10. Sounds like handbooks. Those who profess a belief in demonic possession have sometimes described to possession the symptoms associated with physical or mental illnesses such as hysteria, mania, psychosis, Tourette's syndrome, epilepsy, schizophrenia, or disassociative identity disorder. Additionally, there's a form of monomania called demonomania. 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 It sounds like a pay-per-view program that you'd uh, you'd watch on TV. Or demonopathy. Like uh, WrestleMania. In which the patient believes that he or she is possessed by one or more demons. But it's demons fighting. (laughs) The illusion that exorcism works on people experiencing symptoms of possession is attributed by some to placebo effect and the power of suggestion. Some cases suggest that supposedly possessed persons are actually narcissists or are suffering from low self-esteem and act demonically possessed in order to gain attention. (sighs) Within the scientific community, the work of psychi- um, psychiatrist M. Scott Peck, a believer in exorcism, generated significant debate and derision, which w- much was made of his association with and admiration for the controversial Malachi Martin, a Roman Catholic priest and a former Jesuit? 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 Despite the fact that Peck consistently called Martin a liar and a manipulator, Other criticisms leveled against Peck included claims that he had transgressed the boundaries of professional ethics by attempting to persuade his patients to accept Christianity. Hmm. Narcissism part is interesting. Like, just attention seekers. You've seen, like, uh, 
like footage of um, really popular like televangelists where they have people come up on stage and yeah. you know, they're supposed to be performing some type of exorcism or something and the person's like flailing and it's all acting. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fucking weird. <laughs> it's so weird. In Taoism... Exorcisms are often performed because are, are performed because an individual has been possessed, been possessed by an evil spirit for one of two reasons: the individual has disturbed a ghost, regardless of intent, and the ghosts now seek revenge. And a live person could also be jealous and uses black magic as revenge, thereby conjuring a ghost to possess someone. Yeah, the I fashi- use my black black magic all the time when I'm jealous. Do you? Every time I'm jealous, you- I use black magic. I keep bumping the freaking mic. Are you done? No, I'm done. Who are both Chinese ritual specialists and Taoist priests are able to conduct particular rituals for exorcism. Historically, Taoist exorcisms include a usage of fulu, chanting, physical gestures like mudras, mud- mudras, and praying as a way to drive away the spirit. The leader of these exorcism rituals, who are um, Tangki, I think, that invited the divine powers from the deities and conducted dramatic performance to call it against the demons so the village can once again have peace. The leaders strike themselves with various sharp weapons to show their invincibility to ward off the demons and also let out their blood. This form of blood is considered to be sacred and powerful, so after the rituals, the blood is blotted with talismans and placed on the door of houses as an act of spiritual protection against evil spirits. Sorry, Allison was texting me. <laughs> I got distracted. Hmm. That's it. That's my section. <laughs> Interesting. I yeah. I'm gonna talk about a few things. Okay. First, I'm gonna start with ten. Count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Good. You uh, should have done the count for Miss Sesame Street. Yeah, those uh, amount that you just said exorcisms, yeah, as accounted by Reader's Digest. Oh. Okay. <laughs> The First source one. for all news. Yep. Reader's Digest. <laughs> Read it on the toilet when you're shit. <laughs> this is um, Got- Gottlieben Dittus. Is this person's name? Does he diddle people? Hey, Does come he on. Dittus. <laughs> Gottlieben. Gottlieben. That means God live. Or God life. Or God like? No, God-, God love. I'm sorry. Ah. Liebe. Gottlieben. Another German. God love. Gottlieben Dittus. In 1842, German villagers noticed strange goings-on at the home of a 28-year-old woman named Gottlieben Dittus. What were the strange goings-ons? I'll tell you. Okay. Dittus claimed her house was haunted and soon began slipping in and out of what others described as trance-like states. But it was only when a religious pastor commenced an exorcism... That things went truly nuts. Oh. Dittus became violent, requiring physical restraints for two torturous years, during which the pastor performed various exorcism rites. Dittus vomited glass, nails, and blood, of course. Oh, of course. Because all the glass and nails. With glass and nails comes blood. Finally, Dittus informed everyone the demons were gone and stated that Jesus is victor. I would not believe her. Just all of a sudden, well, after vomiting glass and nails. That don't mean shit. <laughs> you wouldn't believe her afterwards. Not, I don't, I believe that she was possessed. I just don't believe that she was unpossessed. Oh, yeah. She was like, no, everything, everything's fine now. The demons took over. That's not Dittus anymore. <sighs> Clara Germana Chile. Cele. C-E-L-E is the last name. Okay. Chile. Chile. A 16-year-old from South Africa, Clara Chile was heard making a pact with the devil and soon began behaving erratically, tearing at her clothes, growling, speaking in tongues, and demonstrating superhuman strength. In 1906 and 1907, two priests performed exorcisms on Clara, during which her skin burned when touched by holy water, and her body levitated before 170 witnesses. But after a noxious smell was observed leaving her body, (laughs) Clara was deemed free of evil. She farted the demon out. <laughs> farted the demon out of her butt. <laughs> a noxious smell. Can you just imagine that's how, like, the alternate ending to the movie The Exorcist? <laughs> <laughs> the power of Christ. 
going on for too long. Stop. Yeah, it's like two minutes. All right. Well, I guess she's okay. <laughs> this house <laughs> is clean. Anna Eklund. That was the other movie. Mm. Poltergeist. Anna Eklund was not her real name. But it's the one people associate with this classic American case of demonic possession, uh-huh. thanks to the 2016 horror film, The Exorcism of Anna Eklund. I don't think I've ever seen that. The real girl was born in 1882, and her name is unknown. Her father accused her of being possessed by the devil at age 14 after she refused his sexual advances. Gross. Yeah, how fucked up is that? Yeah. No, I don't want to... Fuck you, Dad. Oh, God. Oh. You're possessed by the devil. Oh, I didn't like that sentence. Oh. That's essentially what happened. <laughs> After several years and two lengthy exorcisms interspersed by foul play, thanks to Anna's father's lover, a woman named Mina who practiced black magic and introduced another demonic possession. Great. Great job, Mina. Anna was finally freed of her demons in December 1928. Roland Doe, this 13-year-old boy... In the records of this case, his name was changed to Roland Doe due to, uh, to protect his privacy. Sure. Uh, he was mourning the loss of a beloved aunt when he began seeing and hearing strange things. As the possessions worsened, Roland began demonstrating violent superhuman strength. His parents took him to St. Louis in 1949 for a weeks-long exorcism now known as the St. Louis Exorcism. This is the story on which the exorcist is based. Uh, the movie. Roland screamed, cursed, and attacked his exorcist until a miracle, according to the exorcist, finally led Roland out of his trance-like state. The boy simply stated, he's gone. Oh, he's gone. Yep, he's gone. I'm just now realizing I didn't cover anything else uh, after this beer. Um, so the, I didn't even look it up. This beer is 6.5% ABV. Wow, you didn't cover shit. What I didn't is cover wrong shit. with you? Uh, 6.5% ABV, um, unknown IV or SRM. There's no page for it on Beer Advocate. Wow. So I think because it's relatively new, mm. nothing on Beer Advocate for it yet. So I have to cut that and just drag that over. <laughs> Michael Taylor. When Englishman Michael Taylor, a husband and father of five, met 21-year-old Pastor Marie Robinson, his frequent bouts of depression seemed to ease. In part, Taylor believed it was due to Robinson's ability to exercise demons plaguing him. Hmm. After Taylor's wife confronted Taylor about a possible affair with Robinson, he physically attacked her. This led to an actual exorcism by two ministers that took place on October 5, 1974. Michael had seizures, spit at and bit the exorcist, and screamed in tongues. The next day, he brutally murdered his wife. Whoa. He wasn't convicted, however, because of the defense's argument that the exorcism had made him insane. Annalise Michelle. The exorcism of Annalise Michelle by Felicitas D. Goodman, what a name, relates a, name. a tragic story from Germany. It's also the basis of the 2005 horror film The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Like Michael Taylor's exorcism, Annalise's story also ended in murder, only it was Annalise who was murdered. The German woman's demonic possession was actually an undiagnosed brain disorder, possibly epilepsy, schizophrenia, or both. But being a religious young woman, Annalise welcomed exorcism to help cure her. After 67 attempts, each unsurprisingly unsuccessful, the 23-year-old succumbed to starvation. Two of her priests were convicted of homicide. Damn. The Exorcism of Gina. In 1990, <laughs> Reverend James... No last name. Nope, just Gina. In 1990, Reverend James Labar oversaw three exorcisms, all sanctioned by the Archbishop of New York, Cardinal John O'Connor, and the Vatican. One of them, the exorcism of a Florida teenager named Gina, was televised on ABC in 1991. Hmm. Newsweek described the ceremony, which was accompanied by medieval-style music, as little more than the gratuitous torment of a deeply disturbed young girl. Strapped to... To a chair, she screamed and barked unintelligibly while the reverend pressed a cross into her face and told her supposed demons that if they wanted pain, he'd give it to them. Meaning, of course, the helpless Gina. Ultimately, it was antipsychotic drugs that gave Gina relief. Hmm. Terence Cottrell. 
In 2003, an autistic eight-year-old boy named Terrence Cottrell was killed during a prayer service that was intended to drive out evil spirits, supposedly causing his condition. (laughs) The official cause of death is mechanical asphyxia due to external chest compression, CNN reported, meaning Terrence was suffocated. The Reverend Ray Hempfill, who had performed the exorcism, reportedly sat on the boy's chest until he stopped breathing. Bruh. The Reverend was convicted of homicide. Why would you sit on... How does that even get a demon out? You just sit on him? Booty to chest? What? Maricia Arena... Maricia? Yep. Maricia Arena Cornici. What a name. Romanian nun Maricia Arena Cornici (laughs) was 23 when she began hearing voices. She thought it was the devil talking to her. Although she was treated for schizophrenia, she relapsed and was then subjected to an exorcism, bound to a cross, gagged with a towel, and left in a dank convent room for three days without food and water. Cornici died of suffocation and dehydration, according to CBS's coverage of the case. That made me think, you talked earlier in your section about, like, they're not supposed to be violent. Yeah. There's a lot of crazy Very shit. Very aggressive yeah, exorcisms. exorcisms. Uh, last one. Someone tenth one. get the memo. Christy Bamu. On Christmas Day 2010, a 15-year-old boy, Christy Bamu, was beaten and drowned in a bathtub in London by his sister and her friend in an attempt to exorcise evil spirits from the boy, according to BBC. I don't think that's how you perform an exorcism. Is uh, drown them in a bathtub. Originally, I'm no expert. Originally from the Republic of Congo, the pair tortured the boy with knives, sticks, metal bars, a hammer, and a chisel until he begged to die. The pair were convicted of the boy's murder. Sad. Fucking crazy. If you think someone's possessed by the devil, just let him be, okay? Just let him be with their devil self. Don't involve yourself. Don't do a self-exorcism. They'll be fine. I don't think they'll be fine. And then I have some fun facts about the 1973 film The Exorcist. Lay on me. Which we should watch. Yeah, I'm dumb. So I don't know how you might, how well you'll remember some of these, but sure. the scene where Reagan, it's been a while. the girl, Reagan, yes. projectile vomits yes. at uh, Father... Is that pea soup? Father Karras. Uh, I don't know if it's pea soup. It might be. But it only required one take. Oh, good for her. The vomit was intended to hit Jason Miller, who played the father, in the chest... But the plastic tubing misfired, hitting him in the face. Uh, His reaction of shock and disgust while wiping away the vomit is genuine. And Miller admitted in an interview that he was very angered by this mistake. (laughs) Uh, Due to death threats against Linda Blair, who um, played Reagan, the child, uh, due to death threats against her from re- religious zealots who believed the film glorified Satan, Ugh. Warner Brothers had bodyguards protecting her for six months after the film's release. Oh. In an interview, Jason Miller, uh, who played the father, stated that he had a major verbal confrontation with William Friedkin, the director, mm-hmm. after the director fired a gun near his ear to get an authentic reaction from him. He told Friedkin that he's an actor and that he didn't need a gun to act surprised or startled. I don't know. He was. They needed him to act surprised at something. So he fired a gun next to his ear. Yeah, that's the way to do it. On the first day of filming the exorcism sequence, uh, you know, when she's possessed by the demon. Yeah. You know. Uh, Linda Blair, Reagan. Yeah. Her delivery of her foul-mouthed dialogue so disturbed the gentlemanly Max von Sydow who played, I think, one of the priests, mm-hmm. uh, that he actually forgot his lines. Oh. Uh, some of the lines delivered by the 14-year-old actress at the time who played uh, Reagan. Uh, Stick your cock up her ass, you motherfucking worthless cocksucker. <laughs> your mother sucks cocks in hell, Karras, you faithless slime. And shove it up your ass, you f- Wow. Maybe bleep out that one. I'm going to have to censor that one. <laughs> she was 14. She was fourteen, a fourteen-year-old girl saying, saying this I mean, stuff. I thought I had a potty mouth at fourteen. <laughs> the bedroom set had to be refrigerated to capture the authentic icy breath of the actors in the exercising scenes. Linda Blair, who was only in a flimsy nightgown, says to this day she cannot stand being cold. Hmm. 
Actress Mercedes McCambridge, who provided the voice of the demon, insisted on swallowing raw eggs and chain-smoking to alter her vocalizations. The actress, who had problems with alcohol abuse in the past, furthermore wanted to drink whiskey, as she knew alcohol would distort her voice even more and create the crazed state of mind of the character. As she was giving up sobriety, she insisted that her priest be present to counsel her during the recording process. At William Friedkin's direction, McCambridge was also bound to a chair with pieces of a torn sheet at her neck, arms, wrists, legs, and feet to get a more realistic sound of the demon struggling against its restraints. McCambridge later recalled the experience as one of horrific rage, while Friedkin admitted that her performance, as well as the extremes which the actress put herself through to gain authenticity, terrifies the director to this day. Hmm. That's some devotion. Very. Going back on your sobriety. Talk about method acting. Being bound up. The original teaser trailer, which consisted of nothing but images of the white-faced demon quickly flashing in and out of darkness, was banned in many theaters as it was deemed too frightening. Hmm. You know that face? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's kind of scary. Yeah. And last one, upon its initial theatrical release, the film affected many audiences so strongly that at many theaters, paramedics were called to treat people who fainted and others who went into hysterics. Hmm. So at the time, the early 1970s, this was a very different film. Sure. No one was used to something like this. And uh, I, I imagine at the time, it was the scariest film of all time. And I, know, I remember when I was young and my parents wanted to watch it, and they asked if I wanted to watch it, I think they told me that, too. This is the scariest film ever. And I saw it, and I did not think it was the scariest film ever. Yeah. It's scary. It's creepy. But I've seen scarier films. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, yeah, we should watch The Exorcist. Just like we watched uh, Poltergeist for our uh, Poltergeist episode. That yeah. was fun. We should do something like that again. That's my section. What did you think of the beer? I thought it was a cool beer for episode 50. It was unique. Mm. It was, uh, my first, uh, last week was my first milkshake IPA. This was my first tart shake IPA. This is my first and last tart shake IPA. <laughs> hey. <laughs> um, this is delicious. I like it. It's fruity. It's it's tart, obviously. It's sweet. It's just very watermelony, and um, the tahine is, like you said, very apt description. Um, the lime and the salt. I think everything kind of blends together well. It's not... I wouldn't get it again. It's interesting. I like it. It's a cool beer to try. Be like, oh, that was an awesome beer to try. But it's not like something I'd sip and really enjoy Mm -hmm. as much as some of the other beers that we had. Like Teradome. The smell made me think of perfume, and that really put me off to it. Like, I just... I was, like, smelling an old lady. No offense to old ladies. It's just you all wear a very specific type of perfume. It's not like... There's no like alcohol, strong alcohol scent to it, though. I don't know. As far as flavor goes, it's not a bad beer. It's just a little too weird. A little too weird. A little too weird for me. Yeah, that's makes sense. I drank more of that than some of the other beers, but... Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it deserves a five or a six, but... You did bump it up higher. Yeah surprised i guess for it being my first tart shake ipa it's still technically enjoyable it's just i still technically enjoyed it just kind of like, <laughs> okay what's our email page fear and fearcast at gmail.com sergeant <laughs> fear and fearcast at gmail.com sir <laughs> <laughs> Uh, send us an email if you'd like to um... harassing us or death threats yeah just those two things <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's all I want uh, and then our website beerandfearcast.com mm. not beerandfearcast dot all this other bullshit dot com beerandfearcast.com we're official and we've got all of our episodes there you can listen to them on the website all of the pictures and videos and such the about page there's a contact form fill it out Send us a message. Um, also, our Patreon and Twitch. We play video games sometimes. And then Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, TikTok is where we're available. I'll get there someday. Yeah, eventually, Paige will do something with TikTok. But we we post we post uh, our 
uh, social posts on pretty much everything else. Every Wednesday at noon Central Time is when our new episodes come out. So watch for those. You can always check them out on our website. And the description of this uh, episode has all the links that you can look at everything at. As long as you've got a computer or a phone and an internet connection, you can do it. Mm. Thanks for joining us for episode 50. Here's the 50 more. (laughs) (laughs) 